0: Hello, and welcome to the DMV Business Show, a weekly show where we get to meet local business and community leaders in the D.C., Maryland, and Virginia area. They get to impact their story and how they got there. You can expect to hear advice and learn about their journey and how they went from point A to point B. My name is Odo Sevilla, and I'm a commercial real estate advisor in the local D.C., Maryland, and Northern Virginia area. I have been very fortunate to have worked with many amazing entrepreneurs and executives, from startup founders to international fortune 500 companies. And one of the things I love about what I do is I get to form these great relationships with some interesting people. I get to know them and I learn about how it all started. And I love hearing a good business story when I'm not working in commercial real estate. I just also happen to be the host of this show. So please enjoy and welcome to the DMV business show hello everyone welcome to the dmv business show i'm your host odo Sevilla, and today i have a very special guest for you fernando gonzalez fernando is the pit master and co-owner of 250 barbecue in maryland welcome to the show fernando hey odo thank you for having me pleasure is all mine Um, so before we go into your personal journey if you don't mind explaining to the audience Who is, what is 250 Barbecue if they haven't heard of it yet? They must be under a rock, but maybe there's a few out there. You want the long version or the short version? Well, (laughs) I'm sure we're going to have the long version throughout throughout the whole episode, but uh, I guess the medium version.
1: (laughs) Good choice. Um, My wife and I, we've always been entrepreneurs, pretty much. Uh, I was born and raised during the civil war in El Salvador, uh, that lasted from 1980 to 1992, when the uh, peace agreement was signed. So you grew up in a in a very hostile environment where there were just a few opportunities for you to grow as a person and to educate yourself and to grow a family into a safe environment um, that really affected me as as a young kid. You know, growing up in in a, in a full of violence uh, environment, and now we have a different kind of environment. But now I have a an eight year old daughter, so um, that really changed our vision or where where we wanted to be. For you know, for the next years, for the future, you're not just you're not just thinking about yourself anymore. So um, I grew up in El Salvador, and we explore different um, lines of businesses there. My wife, she's a third generation of restaurant owners. Um, she's the third generation of women who own and operate restaurants, which is something we are very, very proud of it. Um, her grandmother started a small restaurant chain more than 60 years ago in a small Mercadito in Santa Tecla in El Salvador and um she was born into the industry pretty much she uh, knows exactly what's going on at a restaurant as she walks in you know and all her knowledge came really handy when when really handy when 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 we decided to open our restaurant we even explored Guatemala or Belize as other options for opening our own restaurant operation but um, we received this uh, market study, which was indicating, you know, the large community spots in the U.S. And we were, of course, exploring exploring Los Angeles, New York, um, some other cities in California, uh, the DMV as a whole area, too. And it was like a no-brainer decision there, no-brainer when it comes to deciding opening a Salvadorian gastronomy restaurant when you have this dense population of Latinos Um, especially from Central America which we share we share a lot of uh, similarities in 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 our menus in our gastronomical approach to 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 our menus Um, but at the same time I felt like there was a lot of competition already there was a lot of um, well-established restaurants for la- the Latino population in the area. Uh, same thing for Los Angeles. But at the same time, I was traveling back and forth with another side hustle that I have with 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 Debbie, my wife, uh, which was a shipping company. We were traveling to different cities in the U.S. and um, also related to the immigration wave from Central America to San Salvador. We were shipping things from San Salvador to different cities in the United States. Um, Food, uh, documents, um, uh, clothing, uh, shoes, whatever, whatever. It it was like a small FedEx cargo uh, thing. And we were traveling a lot. And then I received this huge order for a large car parts coming from Dallas, going to Austin and coming from Austin to San Salvador. And I required for me to stay in Central Texas for a few days. And while I was handling all the shipment, uh, I just Googled what to do in Central Texas, what to do in Lexington, Lockhart, Taylor, or Austin, Texas. And top of the list were probably five different barbecue tours that you can take there. And I don't know, probably being a foodie in Salvador, I said, well, this is, this is you know, my way to go here. And I took my trip to some of the best barbecue joints in, in Central Texas. And I got completely hooked and drawn into the whole barbecue restaurant industry hospitality and the life of a pit and the whole barbecue culture that they have there. That's pretty much what, attracted me into the barbecue world
0: interesting thank you for sharing that sure <laughs> what um what part of El salvador did you grow up
1: i was born in santana which is uh, western side of the country but i moved two years uh when i was two years old i moved into antiguo Cusatlan, which is right next to the capital okay
0: so I guess it's a, a suburb, sort of uh, San Salvador.
1: Correct, correct. And then um, in this little area, in the suburb of San Salvador, um, we were kind of surrounded by different uh, military institutions, military facilities. So we, we received a lot, of, a lot of noise there. Mm. That area. Yeah. Yeah.
0: You, you, you said, Fernando, you grew up during war. Um, how How was that for you? What do you remember growing up?
1: Um, that's a very good question. Um, I think now dedicated one hundred percent to the food industry, I remember food being scarce. Not because we were unable to afford it. Uh, my father, he is an accountant and he had a he had a very good job in El Salvador. but the thing is, towards the end of the war towards the the hardest part of the of the of the war which was late 80s um, food was scarce in the cities because we were unable to obtain it from the outside of the capital um, guerrilla will take um, strategic positions to uh, stop that uh, influx of food and uh, supplies and um, uh, hardware and tools. And it was like strangling the city. Mm-hmm. And battles will continue in the uh, uh, periferia, in the, in, the, in the suburban areas of the, of the capital. So, you know, prior to those days, you will have a lady with amazing vegetables in front of your door or another guy with a pickup truck selling you fresh fish straight from the port or you will have a uh, fresh product in your door, you know, different types of, of fresh product. That stopped during uh, the Civil War towards the end of the Civil War because, you know, the war was really getting into another, another level. Um, so I do remember that. Um, and that's why I think we started becoming more uh, creative for, for the kitchen. I remember as a, as a, as a, as a young kid, Uh, I always liked the the kitchen environment and I will sneak into our backyard. There was a a farm in the backyard and I was sneaking to the farm and see, you know, what fruits, what vegetables, what spices could I find. And adding those spices or those vegetables to my mother's recipe without her noticing it, just to spice out the flavor, you know. Um, Now that I'm dedicated to the food industry, I'm just remembering all that stuff and she will get mad at me and all that. But at the same time, I was just getting creative because sometimes you will have just two, two greens to add to the, to, the, to the soup of the day. Mm-hmm. And you will start exploring other options. And that's kind of the same thing that I do now, um, you know, exploring different possibilities in the kitchen. We'll get to that later.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, so you it sounds like you were very interested at a young age in the food and the cooking side of things.
1: Correct, correct. And uh, growing up, there was really no uh, formal education as a, as a cook, as a chef uh, in El Salvador. Um, education in general is very limited there. Um, but um, I ended up choosing civil engineering as, as my academic training. I graduated from a technician uh, school first and then graduated from the university there. But, um it was very discouraging to um study all those years and then not being able to sustain your family as you wanted or as properly as 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 you want and running out of options you know we have a whole different set of violence right now coming from the gangs and from immigration waves coming back and forth uh so it's just you know a a constant repeated uh circle of violence that is unfortunately affecting the uh, North Triangle Zone, as, as they call it, um, that part of Central America. So after visiting uh, Central Texas and, and, and getting completely hooked into the barbecue culture, I went back to El Salvador and I said to Debbie, who knows pretty much all aspects in the restaurant industry, I said, hey, smoking meats, it's really not something we have in here in El Salvador as you probably know, Latin America, it's really not well known for smoking meats. You know, we're pretty much used to and mastered the craft of grilling, uh, you know, doing barbecue over cold beds or live fire cooking. Um, and that's great. That's awesome. But, you know, the low and slow approach of indirect fire and smoking meats, that's a whole different thing. And, 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 and I said, Hey, Debbie, we don't have this. We should probably give it a try. You know.
0: And did you start it in El Salvador then, as far as trying it?
1: Correct. Correct. Um, when I when I went to Franklin's Barbecue in Austin, Texas, which is for me personally uh, the most influential restaurant, uh, barbecue restaurant operation, the most influential pit master that you can find, Iron Franklin, I bought his book. I met him and um, I. Went to his smokehouse. He was there. And that was like a life-changing moment. Um, He signed a book. And and he said, give it a try. And I went back to El Salvador. And there's a section on his book where it says how to build your own smoker. And I ended up buying this brand-new 250-gallon propane tank from a propane tank manufacturer in the western side of the country, bring it to the capital, um, push it into our living room. Debbie said, you're crazy. At this day, you're absolutely crazy. And uh, I have a very good friend from Costa Rica living in San Salvador, and he is a welder. He's a professional welder. And I said, hey, I have these instructions and I'd like to give it a try. What do you think? And he's as crazy as me and we started, we started going on. <laughs> That's crazy.
0: I don't know what was it when you did that trip in Central Texas and you tried all these different barbecues that that was, you mentioned so it was almost like life changing for you, it opened up your eyes to totally something you were not familiar with.
1: Correct, correct. Um, Barbecue is such an American tradition. You will find it probably in the vast majority of medium to small cities in the U S you will definitely see this BBQ sign everywhere mm-hmm. in El Salvador. We have none. So it was, it was very, very shocking for me to encounter this whole barbecue culture. Mm-hmm. And whenever I was, visiting a barbecue restaurant in texas they will open the doors of their smokehouse, and the pit master will come and greet you and and ask where you're from and the whole hospitality was was really amazing uh, to me and the results i mean um i've never experienced this high dense smoky profile on a meat or um this collagen really rendered and um this slow and low and slow approach, or even the smell when as you approach to a restaurant that is running 100% wood, that's a whole different thing. Or being at a line for four hours, or two hours, or one hour even. Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely a whole different approach to cuisine, and that really attracted me.
0: So, you, you, yeah. bring, your, you bring your friend into the living room and you start building this thing, and, and then what happens?
1: uh police came to the door man uh, that's what happened that's what happened um well we don't have seasoned ready to go wood for smoking meats in el salvador um i was experimenting with whatever piece of wood that i could find uh, in the surroundings man i was i was using orange wood sapote I was using uh, cedar wood, um, whatever whatever I could find, and um, I was buying probably the cheapest meat cuts that I could get, or what was available there. Um, but I was at the same time um, enjoying enjoying the ride, you know. And I knew for a fact that some of the great pit masters in America. They have achieved mastering their craft in a long, long time, probably a lifetime pursuit, a long time career, uh, doing the same thing over and over until they really um, have their craft where they wanted it to be. So I was, I was determined. I, I, I always say once, once you receive this barbecue call, it's like there's no way, there's no going back. There's no looking back. You know. mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So, do, do you start selling it there from the home, or
1: right? So, I was cooking at this uh, backyard setting with my 250 gallon smoker, and once I felt like, "Hey, I'm getting better at this," I probably had the same. I I probably had the first feeling of achieving something with a rack of ribs for example. Um I I I bought this, you know, very good piece of meat finally. Um and I was smoking this rack of ribs and I said, this is this is pretty good. Um and I was already developing more like a clean approach, clean blue smoke to the fire. I was managing the fire a little bit better. And I said, I should probably serve this, try to serve this to my family and friends to see what they think. And at the same time, I was traveling back and forth still to Texas. And I was, you know, getting pictures and videos and interviewing people and asking people for uh, recommendations or what to do or how to improve. I even remember telling Aaron Franklin, Hey, all all I have in El Salvador is cedar wood. And he said, "Mm, Cedar wood, that's interesting. Like you're crazy, man! If you here, you would, but that's all I had, you know, in, in, in San Salvador. But at the same time, they were they were very uh, encouraging, or pursuing, and keep trying and keep developing, trying and error. Um, and one day I ended up serving uh, a very tough brisket and ribs, decent ribs and chicken and sausages to to my family and friends and. Uh, they probably didn't enjoy more, much of the brisket, but they enjoyed the ribs and the rest of the stuff. Um, and, and then uh, uh, something, something really good happened because my brother-in-law, he's a uh, business strategic analyst, and he develops strategies for businesses. And he said, we should open an Instagram page and see what happened see what happens. And that's what we did. Uh, we um, opened Dos which is a catering operation still going in El Salvador. Um, with that 250-gallon smoker with a lot of improvements. Um, and, and there was an overwhelming response. And I was really not, not ready for that. <laughs> not at all.
0: Wow! So just with the Instagram page, I guess you posting there and promoting it lo- locally, people were already responding to it.
1: Exactly. Uh, my my brother-in-law, he's a great photographer too. Um, I was I was really too busy on my regular daily job and um, cooking barbecue on the weekends to to take pictures or to promote or to post anything or mm-hmm. how do you use how do you use hashtags or what text or how to capture something, but he was dealing with all that. And what happened was um, we have the largest U.S. embassy in Central America. Once again, because of the war, you will see buildings and buildings of U.S. embassy in, in the capital. And um, that requires a lot of staff. So you will find a lot of uh, U.S. expats A lot of Texans, lots of people who have lived in in the United States now living in San Salvador or living in Central America, America, traveling to San Salvador for different reasons. There was definitely a niche there uh, to be filled. And they started tasting it and reposting and sharing it, um, placing orders and asking for catering uh, jobs. And... uh, At that point, we were pretty much cooking through the whole weekend. And that's where the real complaints for neighbors came in. You know, hey, this is, you know, a larger operation going on at a backyard. And uh, there's a lot of smoke. I was still learning. I was still developing, you know, how to start the fire. And I was still using um, not the appropriate woods, just using whatever I could find. Um, yeah, police came to the door and they said, "Are you running cafeteria or restaurant here? What's going on?" We have a lot of complaints from from neighbors, and I said, "Well, this 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 needs to stop." Um, at and this point, is, this my, is in your home, right? This was in my backyard in Yeah, in, in, okay. In okay, Salvador. Yes, yeah, okay. it was small, small, very small space in in my backyard. So um, my father-in-law probably taking care of. His daughter, my wife, um, he said, we should move this operation somewhere else. And you know what? I have space in my farm for it. And he happened to have a great outdoor space. Um, It was a very spaced out farm with tons of animals and a lot of clean air, a lot of space, a lot of wood. and he had this um, one-story long building which was being recently used as the creamery. They used to be um, 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 cook, I don't know if that's a word, they used to um, manufacture cheese and cream in that facility. And that was emptied out because they moved that operation somewhere else. So that was available it was all permitted uh, there was a space it was perfect um we loaded up the 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 250 gallon smoker in a big truck it was heavy man that was it probably took like seven eight guys including me to load everything up and move it move it to the farm but that was the best decision ever at the farm i was then finally able to start developing my approach as a pit cook
0: And and at this time, Fernando, you're still full-time, I guess, doing the shipment, traveling back and forth to to the U.S. and El Salvador, and at the same time on the side running this
1: barbecue operation. Correct. I was using my vacation travel from my uh, full-time job to travel back and forth to the U.S. I was spacing out the days uh, throughout the year. I had a premises manager... Uh, Job full-time job in El Salvador. I was overseeing six buildings. And during the weekends, I was running this catering operation for barbecue. I was packed. Um, But very exciting times, very exciting times. And at the farm, then we were really able to control the fire for a whole night, for example, or having a properly seasoned wood or um, building a fire without being worried about neighbors or um, um, buying high-quality meats and having an appropriate um, freezer and appropriate refrigeration system to properly storage them. So that's when really um, everything everything went to another quality level. Yeah.
0: Was there ever a point there in El Salvador where you sort of left the full-time job and focused 100% in barbecue? Or before that, did you immigrate then to the U.S., before that even occurred?
1: Um, I ended up quitting my my regular full-time job like three months be- before coming to the U.S. Um, and I was, at that point, pretty much dedicated to traveling and dedicated to the to the, to the the. Uh, Barbecue, barbecue catering. Okay. Yeah. But at the same time, um, the decision to come into the U.S. was already taken. So um, there was no purpose on me focusing on that job anymore. That was another, we had another vision already. Sure.
0: Well, yeah. what, was, what was the main reason to come to, to the U.S.? Um,
1: um, it was, it was, um, it was a tough decision, really, because you still have your family, you still have your, all your friends, uh, you have your net in, in your safe net in the Salvador But at the same time, Debbie and myself, we had our daughter, she was four years old at that, at that moment, and we said, "This is, this is the moment. you know we, we really don't know what's going on, and we don't really know what's going to happen in the next two years in this, in this country. And we decided to move to the U.S. because of her. Yeah.
0: Sure. Around what year was that, do you remember?
1: That was uh, mid-2018. We moved to the U.S. Uh, towards the end of 2018. Okay. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, yeah. okay. Almost four
0: or five years here then.
1: Yeah, fairly recent, yeah. fairly recent, four years ago. Yeah.
0: You, you've, you've done a lot in four years, Fernando. I don't know.
1: <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, I'm sure there's <laughs> no, still a lot to go, but but yeah. Right. No, we're enjoying it, man. I mean, uh, being able to take my daughter to the park, that's that's a win for me. Sure. You know, something, some daily, daily routine things that I will never do in Salvador, I'm able to do it here. That's, that's my win already.
0: And, and you were mentioning earlier as far as doing some studies where there's a lot of, I guess, Central America people from El Salvador. Is that the main reason you chose the D.C. metro
1: area, the DMV area? Correct. So we received this market study about the Latino population in different cities, thinking about the uh, Salvadorian gastronomy flat that my uh, wife's family has in the Salvador. They have eight restaurants there, and it's a pretty well-established uh, restaurant. But at the same time, I remember when leaving uh, that um, office meeting when we um, commissioned our market study. I said to to the um, I say to I said to them please include a little bit of research about Texas barbecue in your, in your market study. And they said, well well, we'll, well, we'll include it, we'll give it a try. And I remember when we received this uh, market study complete, it was fairly clear that the DMV or Los Angeles was the two-go option. And um, at the same time, one of them whispered to me, there's also a huge niche for Texas barbecue in the DMV. You should look into that. Um, at that point, I established communication with Ray Ramirez, which was a uh, wonderful pit master in Los Angeles. Uh, he passed recently. Um, and I said to him, hey, um, there's an opportunity for us to come to the U.S. to open either a Typicos Margot Salvadorian flag gastronomy restaurant or a barbecue joint. What do you think? And Ray Ramirez from uh, Ray's Barbecue, he was really the person who told me, um, you will find a pupuseria or a típicos or a Salvadorian gastronomy restaurant in every corner in, in Los Angeles. And some of them are selling a pupusa for 99 cents. Thinking about the sustainability of your business and thinking about the best for your family and thinking about pursuing your dreams, I will strongly recommend you open a barbecue joint or a barbecue operation because um, there's never enough barbecue uh, in this country. And... um, there's definitely a niche in the DMV that really, and and he even mentioned numbers and he said, I'm selling a barbecue sandwich for $18 and I'm selling 145 of them per day. So that, you know, his insight was really, really helpful. And he started in his backyard in in Los Angeles with 10 Traeger smokers um, smoking briskets overnight. And he said, um, this is this is your way to go too over there. He was the person who uh, kind of pushed me into the final decision or trying to convince the rest of the board, my family, to make the move on the barbecue side of the restaurant. That's good. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And now 250 was not the first operation, correct?
1: Barbecue operation, no. Uh, we started in El Salvador, Dos, dos, cinco. dos cinco. was referring to the temperature and to the height. I, I, I was convinced that uh, cooking at a completely different height was affecting uh, some of the things during my cook. And I was targeting 265 Fahrenheit degrees as my temperature there. But then when we um, came to this area, uh, 250 it's like my 2 go temperature and it's also referring to my first 250 gallon smoker just the number 250 kept kept coming up I love the meaning yeah. behind it <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's very meaningful it's like a self reminder of what do you want to cook your your meats low and slow yeah so
0: Fernando you arrived to this country in 2018 do you know anyone in the area what do you do when you arrive you your wife your four-year-old daughter
1: we had no one, no one in here, no family, no friends.
0: Nothing. Wow. Uh,
1: just a dream, man. Just a dream. Yeah. Uh, um, I remember Rocio Tremino Lopez. She is the uh, liaison for Latino businesses in the Prince George's Economic Development Corporation. She was a tremendous help for us, connecting the dots, connecting the network around us. Mm-hmm. Uh, immigration lawyer, um, permitting, held department, uh, building inspections, um, taxes, you know, all, all the, all the things that matter when, when you are trying to establish a business. Um, she was a tremendous help. Um, other than her really, no, no family and friends. Um, but at the same time, we were lucky that our families can travel and, um, I remember having some family member for three months, then another coming for another four months, then another coming for another three or five months. So um, having my wife and my daughter here and having my family and friends visiting me all the time, it's, it's, been a, it's been a great journey. It's been a great journey. Yeah.
0: When you arrive, I know you already had the goal of opening the restaurant and you had already said that it was gonna be the barbecue restaurant, right? Correct. So do you start searching? was like, okay, let, let's look for a business, a restaurant to buy. Let's look for a place to lease. What,
1: what are the thoughts then? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yes. So, so we, um, with, the, with the help of the Prince George's Economic Development Corporation and uh, Rocio Termino Lopez, liaison for Latino businesses there, we started scouting the area for locations to work to open a restaurant. And I remember going to very interesting locations in Chevy Chase, Rockville, uh, Silver Spring, Prince George's county. Um, Then we visited this little corner in Riverdale Park and it had a little sign on a metal board for lease. It was not pretentious, um, not a lot of intermediaries. Uh, It was the owner and and the lease agreement, that was it. Mm -hmm. And that was Pete Pete Spiropoulos, uh, our landlord. And I remember my father-in-law, he said, that place needs a lot of work, but it has a lot of parking and a lot of storage space. He saw potential on that little corner in Riverdale Park. And at the same time, Riverdale Park, as the town, was um, investing a lot on the shops, the shops, as as they call the, um, the town center. You will have Town Center Market, which is a great liquor store and market on the side. You will have dump spits and Sobs. And on the other side of the corner, you would have a Vietnamese bistro, a tapas place, a uh, yoga place, uh, a vegan restaurant. It was just blossoming. You know, mm-hmm. the whole area was blossoming. And it was right next to Hyatt'sville, Route 1 corridor two blocks away. Uh, the Mark, the mark um, train station was being renovated. Um, we were sitting on the parking lot and the train was passing by, it was something magical. Um, The interior of the place was pretty much packed with a lot of trash up until the ceiling. Um, The floors needed a lot of work, no HVAC, uh, the tin ceiling needed a a lot of repairs, uh, water leaking in the basement, a lot, a lot of work. Um, But at the same time it had the potential and it was abandoned for probably eight, nine years. And it was right on the corner, Lafayette and Riverdale Road, you will have the museum two blocks away. And I was just shocked, amazed on why no one was taking into consideration that little building, that little corner. And uh, there was a picture shop next door. We went there, we ate there. We met Georgia, uh, former owner and uh, we ended up asking for 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 the corner uh, to to the landlord. And operating so close to the sea parking, it's definitely something scarce nowadays. And you will find twenty eight parking spots in this little corner, and more public parking across the street, and unrestricted parking on the street too. Um, it, it it just made sense then uh landlord accepted our proposal we met and and um you know a very very um uh, um he's a great guy he was very open to um make some modifications on the building or being flexible with a lot of stuff because of this current shape at that moment of the building but he was he was very flexible um We ended up the conversation there the next day he um met with us again and he said my daughter who owns the pizza shop next door he she's not very happy about this she says you're going to put her out of business so we closed the conversations for that day but at the same time we were kind of already in the area we were renting a a house in 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 hyatt'sville and when we were scouting the uh, locations in the area, we also we also went to another um, leasing opportunity in Riverdale Park, uh, closer to the shops area. And we met the farmer's market manager. And he said, despite, or, despite of what happens, you know, either here or in some other location, you probably want to give it a try here at the farmer's market to see what happens. And it made sense, you know, that was already in our plans to try to, you know, uh, put the water around of our brand uh, in farmers markets, in breweries. There's a beautiful meadery in Hyattsville doing pop-ups here and there. And we applied for our health department uh, license. And um, we were serving barbecue probably within two weeks at the farmers market. Um, and then landlord came again to our stand, and he said, "My daughter says she is willing to um sell you the pizza shop so she can retire. she's been there for thirty years, and she wants to move to Florida, and she wants to know if you want to buy her buy her out." Uh, we stuck with the idea um And then the farmer's market operation kept growing. All of a sudden we had a following. We had a line at the farmer's market and um, that market specifically has been up and running since 1980, so it has a lot of following there. Um, And we just, we were deepening our roots into the community through the farmer's market. Um, So we started exploring the possibility of buying the pizza Adding the restaurant operation next to it, and connecting the whole operation, the whole building, the whole first level, through the basement, through the uh, first floor, um, connecting the brands, and um, adding all the parking space to the two restaurants, it just it just made sense. You know, there was a space for the smokehouse on the side of the building too, and and uh, permits were um, easier to get, um, at least less red flags in the permanent in the permanent process so um i've enjoyed many episodes of your show and i think this is very important you know get to know your brand get to know your 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 community get to know um having a study market a a market study in your hands um exploring you know uh, get your name out there to see what happens you know yeah So it
0: it, it starts then, as far as your your physical location, you first then acquire the Dom's, the the pizza shop, right? Correct. And then from there, 250
1: eventually is born next door. Correct. We were uh, managing Dom's. We were serving at the farmer's market on Thursdays, and we were doing pop-ups at the pizza shop on the weekends ah. uh, because the pizza shop was closed on Sunday. So we were doing barbecue Sunday and Thursday, Sunday and Thursday in different in two different locations. And Dumps was open six days a week. And at the same time, we were um, working next door to uh, open the, the barbecue shop next door. And that required a lot of time, a lot of money. Uh, Dumps was kind of like an instant, cash flow to do all their repairs, all the uh, improvements that the new restaurant needed. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: And and at this time too, Fernando, you're you're running day-to-day Doms, right? You and your wife, you're there? Okay.
1: Correct, correct, pretty much.
0: How soon thereafter going into Doms there, running that operation, then 250 was open to the public?
1: All right, so we um, we run dumps, pizza, and subs for a year, close to a year. Mm-hmm. And then after that, we were almost ready to open 250. Okay. Next door. We were just waiting for permits. Sure. And that that is taking us to March 2020. Um then the pandemic hit. We had our first lockdown in April, twenty twenty, when we were ready to open. I literally got the last permit, the last use and occupancy permit, um, on the first week of lockdown. Even the inspector was not ready to go there. He did a virtual, you know, inspection. Um, he was at the building many, many times before, so he just, she was just checking a few things virtually. And he said, "Well, you've been granted your use and occupancy permit. You can open now." And we said, "We can't open now. It's it's down, um, oh, That man. was that was a huge setback, um, mentally at least. But rent was due, and we were burning cash throughout the throughout the whole throughout the whole project. Uh, we had, you know, a little investment money from from um, my father-in-law we had our lifetime savings uh, we had Doms which was injecting uh, funds to the to the corporation to our little corporation but at the same time you're burning a lot of cash and um, we said we we have to open it. you know there, there was uh, at, at that point you didn't know if that's that was going to last a month two weeks a year, two years, uh, you wouldn't know. Um, we knew we had to pay rent and utilities, mm-hmm. no matter what. Uh, there was no open conversation with the landlord because, again, you you just didn't know what, what was going to happen. Um, so we decided to open. Uh, um, no previous announcement. No, no nothing. No advertising. No... Publishing anything, uh, it was just really um, not even a soft opening. I mean, it was like a secret opening for pretty much. Uh, it was uh, all of a sudden a whole restaurant barbecue operation, and it was all of a sudden a takeout uh, restaurant. But um, I'm really thankful to my brother-in-law and Debbie, who knows they they just know pretty much everything about the restaurant industry, and they just said we need to pivot. And wanted to pay with quick, like overnight. And uh we designed the restaurant in order to be an authentic Texas barbecue restaurant in which you will come, you will do the line, you will get your sides, you will get your meats by the by the pound, you will have the scales, then you go to register, and then they will tell you how much it is, you will look for a table, and that was gone. It was all of a sudden a takeout place. Um, I remember uh we had this Costco table, plastic black table, uh on one corner of the of the restaurant, and everything, everything else was empty. And people were kind of, you know, coming to this shady place, open, not open, what's going on here, using masks, everybody was confused, even local authorities, health department, there was no clear communication. Um, very um lots of anxiety mm-hmm. um, and people would come and look at that table and say, oh, that is your contactless pickup table. I love that. And we were like, no, that's our only table. We have no money to buy anything else. You know, we have no money to buy any other table or chairs or anything else. That's our, that's our only table. You can pick up your order there. Um, but at the same time, we were able to pivot and I remember the next weekend, that was one weekend and the next weekend, for some reason, uh, Tim Abner, uh, Eater DC writer, came. Um, he also writes for um, Thrillist and uh, Edible DC magazine. and he's, he's a great writer. He came and he said, um, I'm here to pick up my order. I, I had no idea who he was. Sure. I get his back. And as he was walking out to his, to his car, I said, we opened today. And he left his, his, his bag on, on his car and he came back and he said, you opened the restaurant today? Like, you know what times are we facing right now? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I said, yeah, man, it's, the smokehouse is on the side of the building. We're cooking barbecue on a 500-gallon smoker here. We're serving here. And we opened uh, pretty much today because the previous week was pretty much um, the following that we had on the farmer's market. It was like the first day open to the public. And that was like a completely different uh, approach from him. Uh, opening a restaurant during the pandemic, especially a restaurant, uh, migrating everything from a full-service restaurant, dining, to a takeout um, using a wood supply the only smoker um how are you doing this where are you from um, i think he was appealed to the story too you know yeah um and that was um that was something um i think the next day a great article came up in in either dc and i think it all picked up from there wow. yeah and
0: yeah. Just out of it's nowhere, real. he just cheers.
1: Just, just, just out of nowhere, Fernando,
0: he, he just found you and just decided to place an order and try it.
1: I believe I, I don't know if this is the right version. Um am I might I should ask him. <laughs> <laughs> um I think there was a barbecue blog. Um this guy's name John Tanner. John Tanner barbecue blog. He is Uh, a lawyer, and he certifies barbecue joints for a movement that is called um, True Q, the True Q organization, and they pretty much go to every single barbecue joint that they can find across the country to certify them if they're cooking only with wood, either coals or wood logs. No electricity, no gas, no liquid smoke, no artificial methods. He came to a pop-up at the pizza shop one Sunday. He loved it. And I think he was the one who approached Steam Enter um, to visit with uh, Um So thank you, John. <laughs> so he certified you then? He certified us after we opened the restaurant.
0: Okay. okay. I
1: think he was trying our food undercover uh for at least two more times. Okay. John Tanner. And when he was able to determine that we were definitely using only wood, uh smoking meats on site, um, no artificial methods, and and we were serving like a full scale at that point, um, then he certified us. Sure. Yeah.
0: So I'm sure, Fernando, that those beginnings weeks or months when you opened during COVID were tough times for you and 250. How, how, and especially when that article came out here, that local article. How has things changed now?
1: I remember when when that article came out, we were simply not ready. We were simply not ready, especially for volume, because um, back in those days you couldn't say, hey, can you send me five more cases of brisket for next week? There was a whole amount of insert uncertainty of what was going to happen. You would probably ask for 10 cases of brisket and you will receive two. Or you will receive them on Friday when you order it for Tuesday. Or you will receive a huge 20-pounder brisket instead of a regular 12, 15 pounds brisket, or you'll receive, um, sorry about that, um, or you will receive um, pretty poorly trimmed ribs, or you won't receive your turkey for the week, or, um, you were unable to find uh, seasonings or the right uh, mesh pepper that you wanted, or uh, you will face uh, prices changing overnight. You know, due to you know staff shortages or uh, transportation costs or uh, lack of drivers from the suppliers. It was just simply day and night. The whole industry changed. Uh, at all at all levels overnight, mm-hmm. um, but at the same time, one really good thing happened, which was being able to touch base with Gregston Farms and Snake River Farms. Um, those are farms who are controlling their product a to z. Uh, they're humanly trained. Uh, they use non antibiotics, uh, hormone free. Um, Ethically sourced overall. Ethically sourced means, and we were able to establish a communication with them. And you will pay a higher price for a higher quality product. And at the same time, they were able to control the whole production chain from um, the, warehouse, the warehouse to your restaurant. And that's why that's that's how we started serving Snake River Farms Wagyu we brisket because it was a very um, sustainable product. Uh, It will get there on time, um, nice trim, um, the right amount of um, meats that you wanted, and overall a very consistent product. And consistency is very extremely important in restaurants. Yeah.
0: What would you say drives and motivates you today?
1: Man, um, I think the community has a long, a long motivation in what we do. Like when you walk into our restaurant, even before walking in, you will find local muralists around the building, around the restaurant. Once you go in, you will find high-quality meats. Uh, you will find local photographers. You will find um, local. Artists exposing their art. Uh, you will find probably a local band on a Thursday night playing. Um, all of our staff members are locals. Um, the diversity of our community is represented in our staff, including uh, members of the deaf community. So we just love how the barbecue brings people together, you know, and and. I don't know, there's there's probably probably something in the fire that draws people together, you know? Um, um, I remember this Chef Table episode uh, in the barbecue series from Tutti Tamanet. And uh, she's been cooking barbecue for more than 50 years. And she says that, she's like, barbecue really brings good people together. It brings uh, conversations to connect people more and more. And that's what we see at a restaurant all the time. Um, looking at a table and and um, looking at a family, experiencing a low and slow, really tender brisket for the first time and sharing that experience and sharing those stories or taking pictures and, uh, probably connecting some other family members uh, in a live video that are, you know at the same at the same time at the restaurant. Uh, it, that that's really that that's that's a great motivation for you. You really need to love the hospitality industry because at the end it's all about hospitality. It's like inviting your family and friends to your spot and serving what you cook from your soul.
0: I love that. Yeah. You were just mentioned earlier about some of your team members there, your staff, and some of them also from the deaf community. How do you, that's great. How do you go about finding the right people to bring into the team?
1: Um, It's very natural, to be honest with you. Very, very natural. I remember doing a pop up at Streetcar 82, which is a deaf owned brewery in Route 1. Mm -hmm. And I met Tony Daverso there, Tony. is a great sausage maker. His family has been um, making sausages for many, many years in in Seattle. And he moved to this area a few years ago. And he approached me out of a stand once we finished and he said, I I can make sausages for you. And next week he was was already in uh, the sausage making in our restaurant. then he referred us to other staff member, Marianne Lopez, and she came to the door and she said, I can help you upset another serving side. And she referred to another staff member uh, who is staff, um, Mariana Paloma. So it's, it's really, really natural. Once you have a great work environment, I think people will, will come, you know, mm-hmm. um, till the day, I only put a now hiring sign once in our restaurant. Um, other than that, people just go to the website, and there's a jobs tab there, and people just apply. And we have a large base of um, contacts that we can that we can call. And once they come to the restaurant, and they see, you know, pretty much um, a very easygoing working environment, and all the community members represented, and you know, we work with a with a um, work lifetime balance schedule. Um, something like having a weekend off at the restaurant industry—it's like unthinkable in other in other operation. It does exist in our operation because we can accommodate to that. You know, um, or paying living wages to our to our staff. Um, I think. Uh, uh, we own everything to barbecue. Barbecue, it's, it's a really amicable hospitality environment. Um, and once you are able to uh, project that hospitality towards your um, suppliers, towards your uh, staff, towards your, your, your customers, your patrons, it's, it's something magical. It's something really hard to explain, something really hard to replicate. But at the same time, if it happens, um, it's something to, to really take care about.
0: That, that's great, Fernando, because, yeah. you know, talking to some restaurant clients of mine, especially when COVID hit, um, they had difficulties hiring. Even now, when, when they were able to open, some of the staff just totally left the hospitality and restaurant industry and well, went to other places. But I'm glad to hear with that community that you build with your barbecue restaurant, not a problem at all for you.
1: Thank God, no. And and I I once again barbecue, showed me that, proved us that from early beginnings, mm-hmm. and that is something you, you won't be able to find probably in other in other cuisine styles. Um, we've been traveling to Texas a lot, to Houston, to Dallas. We were recently at the Fort Worth area, visiting. Uh, Top barbecue joints there and it just amazed me how how for example a pit master that has been up since 2 a.m is able to take you into the smokehouse at 11 a.m the next day and open the doors for you and um, cut a slice or slice a, a, a piece of meat for you and share a meal with them and talk to them and sharing secrets or changing communication or changing notes or just talking about whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, it's just amazing um, how, how, how that works. Or the line waiting for um, a barbecue meal. I was at Goldie's Barbecue, which was recently named as the number one barbecue joint per Texas Monthly. And we were there for four and a half hours making a line, and at the end you are just friends and exchange contact with all the people in line, or at least four to ten, uh, five to ten people behind you on the line because we were first line. Um, it's just something, something uh, something magical, or or you know that that community sense around barbecue. Um, we just love it, and and it showed us the way of of where to. Um, uh, direct our efforts with the restaurant
0: sure uh, yeah to to be respectful of your time too i'm coming uh to an end here when, when you're not busy running the business what do you like to do for funding your free
1: time hey that's a great question man uh i'm a great dc united supporter i go to autofield a lot um and i really love music uh i used to have a band in El Salvador. Uh-huh. I uh, used to be a, a drummer, percussionist there, and I love to go to concerts. And unfortunately, that during the pandemic has been cut off too, but it's slowly but surely coming back. So I, that's that's something I really enjoy too, going to concerts, enjoying live, live music. Um, and recently, I'm really enjoying going to other restaurants to admire, um, great we, we were so fortunate. I mean, we're so lucky to have this amazing diversity. We have Chef Angel Barreto Aranjú. He is a James Beard Award finalist, finalist. And going to his restaurant and experiencing a whole different culinary uh, approach uh, or going to Danny Lee's uh, restaurants or going to Javier Fernandez, or uh, Poggy Boy, um, Paolo Dunca um i try to um set apart some time to to go visit those amazing uh restaurants and we're so lucky to be surrounded by an an amazing diversity cuisine uh we have rose's luxury we have Maidan, Maidan, uh libanese cuisine it's it's uh or you can ju- just go to a poceria one day or go to uh, taqueria, Taqueria Habanero, or ta- la Madre here in College Park. Um, you can literally have a completely different dining experience every single day. And, and um, we are very thankful to our community because they have been able to embrace our approach to um, barbecue, too, because we are Texas barbecue with a pinch of the tropics. And we are thankful for them to allowing us express our roots in our menu, too. They will come to our restaurant. They will have the basic Texas barbecue menu. But at the same time, they will have chamoy watermelon, tahini green beans, brisket beans, uh, caramelized pineapple, maluros, you know, plantains with sour cream. All these different tropical flavors that they probably not used to taste with barbecue or paired with barbecue. That we're serving them, but at the same time, they're giving it a try, and some of them are liking it. Yeah,
0: (laughs) Fernando, where can people find out more about you
1: and 250? Um, you can find us on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, two number two, and then letters 50 250 BBQ or 250 Texas Barbecue. Um, they can find us in our website 250 BBQ. And you can also find our location flagship restaurant in Riverdale Park. We are at 4700 Riverdale Road in Riverdale Park, Maryland, 20737. And we also have a food stall inside Union Market in D.C., Northwest D.C. Uh, We're next to Takorean. It's a great uh, diverse cuisine spot also inside Union Market. Um, Although the Union Market location is very sandwich focused, sandwich based. Um we don't have like like ten thousand options we have in Riverdale Park. It's a ten by ten stall, but you can also give us a try there.
0: Awesome. Fernando, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Really appreciate
1: it. Thank you, Otto, for having me.
0: Pleasure's online. Take care, man. You too. If you haven't done so already, please make sure to subscribe to the show and leave a review and comment and let me know what you think. Thank you, and I'll see you all very soon on the next episode.